Hey everybody, welcome to Creative Agency, a show about taking control over your career, taking the plunge into the unknown, and using that energy to create something insanely great. Ever thought about being your own boss? About rewriting the rule book? About taking that dream job and making it real? This is the show for you. Just how do business owners, creative types, and entrepreneurs make it work? We'll find out what drives them, what inspired them to do their own thing, and how they've made it work. We're going to learn from the best, people who've taken the leap, struck out alone, and have the scars to show. I'm Jason McDermott, and you're listening to Creative Agency. Stick around, who knows just how far we'll go. Hey everybody, Jason here. This week we'll be talking to Andre Lovett, who's the CEO of the Art Centre of Christchurch, and uh, actually a former colleague of mine from Arab. This particular interview marks a foray into very new and unfamiliar territory for me uh, here with Creative Agency. It's the first ever interview that I've conducted over Skype. Now that might not sound all that groundbreaking, but if you're a subscriber of the show, you'll know that I like to do the interviews in person. I like to go meet people, uh, sit down with them face to face to try and get to understand them a little bit better. You know, a face-to-face interview allows you the opportunity to read body language, to communicate with body language. It also gives you a really neat insight into the environment that they that they make for themselves. So you get to, often I like to go and visit someone in their office and explore that side of their personality or that side of their environment in addition to the face-to-face interview. So this interview was supposed to be one of those, but the timing didn't quite work out when I was over there in Christchurch. So to compensate for that, we decided to organize this over Skype. Now I've got to say, Skype is possibly my new best friend. So I'm not entirely sure how I'm going to uh, reconcile these two different aims. The first to have a face-to-face conversation with someone because I think that's really valuable, but also the convenience and the ability that Skype offers you to do these kinds of things in a really efficient, streamlined and, uh, and easy to manage way. So that's for me to reconcile. But in the meantime, this episode you're about to hear is with it's an interview with someone who's been at the forefront of some of the most innovative projects worldwide from uh, from an engineering standpoint at Arup, which is a multinational uh, services firm including engineering. Now, Andre was the office leader of the Singapore office and oversaw projects like the Marina Bay Sands commercial development. Now, for someone like that to then take a transition like he did to become the, the CEO of the art center in a city like Christchurch that's been devastated by earthquakes, that's a story that I want to hear and I want to understand those motivations because it's a really huge career change both with opportunities and challenges. Andre and I get into all of those and we touch on quite a lot of different aspects of entrepreneurship thinking that are relevant to all of you. So without any further ado, here's Andre Lovett on Creative Agency. Well, I'm here today with Andre Lovett, who's the CEO of the Christchurch Arts Centre, formerly uh, Singapore office leader of Arup. Uh, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me. Now, uh, you're a bit of an unusual guest on uh, on Creative Agency. I'm not sure if you've had a chance to dig through any of the earlier episodes, but uh, I tend to get people on uh, on the show who've been... Uh, who founded businesses or who've um, uh, invested or, or that kind of profile. So it's uh, it's kind of nice to have someone a little bit different to have on the show. Um, now your um, your background uh, is in engineering. I believe you you have a master of civil engineering from from Canterbury University, and uh, and you've spent your time actually. It's a bit of a meteoric rise from uh, from a recent grad to someone who was taking on a project as large as uh, Marina Bay Sands. So I wonder if you could uh, tell me a little bit about that story and how how that uh, journey unfolded. Yes, well, thank you for having me. Firstly, um, my my background is in civil engineering and um, specifically fire safety engineering, and I uh, worked for a little while after finishing university in Christchurch, and then I, I joined Arup. And Arup is a, for those of uh, your listeners who don't know about Arup, it, it's um, the best way to imagine Arup is, is as an idea factory. Um, Arup is an organisation that thrives and 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 its lifeblood is is about developing um, creative and, and and fantastic ideas and delivering them. 
And, and the arena it generally works in um, historically has been the built environment. Um, that's starting to change now. Um, but um, my background and my work experience has been largely on, on, on significant building projects. And, you know, I've, I've um, you know, through that process learned a lot about, um, you know, bringing diverse groups of people together and, and working on different projects. Um, you know, they've, they've tended to be quite, Quite large. I mean, my last uh, ten years has been spent in Singapore, where it w was a great place to work as, a, as an engineer. You know, because you can imagine Singapore is a place which um, has plenty of money, quite frankly, and and is interested in doing crazy things. And uh, we we thrived on on doing crazy things for for people. And um, Marina Bay Sands is, is perhaps you know, one of the more outlandish things that, that has been built in Singapore for, for a while. Um, and, and that is a project which um, you know, was a massive level of effort working with Moshe Safdie and his team in, in Boston. We had a design team, a very large design team in Singapore, uh, which, which I was involved in the leadership of. We, we had teams working in all of the other um, corners of the Arab world as well. So, you know, all up we had a design team of around 350 working on that project and then there were other others involved. So when you're working across time zones and across a very, very fast track project like that, um, you, you learn a lot of things along the way. Yeah, I, I think actually it's the first time that Arup has been mentioned on this on the show, uh, despite me um, spending three years working in the Sydney office, it's it's not something that I, I often get a chance to reflect on. Uh, I remember, in fact, um, I visited the San Francisco office once and I sat through a presentation about all the work that was coming out of Singapore and, uh, and I just thought to myself, what the hell am I doing only working on projects in Sydney or San Francisco? There's, there's some amazing things happening in Singapore. So, um, how did you how did you get involved with Singapore Office? Did they approach you, or did you approach them? I was working for Arab in Australia, and and an opportunity came up to lead a, a small sort of startup team in the Singapore Office, um, and and I I took that. Um, my, my wife and I said, you know, we, we'd we'd always wanted to live in Asia, and it was a really fantastic opportunity for us to to go and spend a couple of years in, in Asia and, and, and travel and, and do all sorts of exciting things you do when you're there. And um, two years became three and, and became four. And, and, um, and, and at the time that, that I joined that office, you know, we were in a, a stage of transition. Um, the, the economy was, was very, very down. Um, the, the SARS virus was, you know, you know, a, a, a sort of an ever-present sort of background issue. You know, taxis were easy to get on Orchard Road in Singapore, um, but all of that's changed now. And and pretty much through through that period, two thousand three to two thousand and thirteen, the, the the office grew continually to to really um, get to the point at when I left and transitioned out of that leadership role of the office to. Where, where I felt that we were big enough to do the sorts of things that we wanted to do. And that, that's meaning that we had enough um, both intellectual grunt but also enough hands on deck to, to, to deliver some of the things that we, um, we aspired to do in that environment. Now, Arup is, a, is an interesting uh, organisation. You, you call it a, an ideas factory. Um, but I, I, it's also something that's, that has quite an unusual uh, ownership structure. Did you think that that played any part in um, in the creation of that little startup team that was um, that headed over into Singapore? Um, I, if I reflect on my time at Arab, I guess one of the one of the things that was um, was ever present in in my experience was opportunity, and um, I was you know throughout my career with Arab given a huge amount of opportunity and and indeed a huge amount of rope and. And you know you can you can do lots of thing with things with rope and uh, and luckily I didn't um, you know you know I it was well I was supported to develop scar tissue and learn from experiences without without being strung up for them and and I think culturally that's you know that that's a tremendous thing isn't it you know I've I've benefited hugely the people who I've worked with um, 
um, you know, they've benefited tremendously from being in that environment. I, I, I do realise, however, that you know it's it's a big organisation and, and and people's experiences can can differ a little bit. It's very dependent on who you're who you're around and who you're mentored by. But you know that 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 focus on you know, you need to be profitable in in, in two months' time. Um, you know, never was never really an issue for me. Um, was always very much focused on build your reputation, do excellent work, and and in in a sense that things take care of themselves from from there. So you you had been, I think you started at Arup in nineteen ninety nine, yeah, uh, and headed over to Singapore in two thousand and three. Yeah, what what was it in you that they saw within that four year period that made um, that made the powers that be think? You know, Andre's the guy for the job. What, what were the qualities that, uh, that, that you were showing? Um, I, I think I'd, I'd got a few runs on the board initially in terms of just, just being able to um, both bring people together but also get things done. Um, and, you know, you, you, well, bringing people together and, and, and getting teams working um, took, has taken a long time for me to figure out, and, and is still a work in progress. You know, it's approaching an asymptote. You never, you never get there. But I've, I guess, as I've gotten older and more experienced, it's, 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 I've, I've developed an appreciation for seeing that as a, as a discipline or as a skill in its own right, and, and actually learned to, to really f- feel the rewards inherent within that, uh, that come from, from doing that well. Um, so, so I think th- those were probably two aspects. I think um, having having a set of skills which could also be applied uh, in an Asian environment was was part of the um, part of the decision making process, um, and, and also being able to be comfortable with and effectively a, a startup approach, which was you're on your own. It's a, it's you know the decks are cleared. Um, the only way is up, and 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 I, you know, I I was really motivated by by being in that sort of environment. Um, you know, I, I don't tend to see um, problems; I see opportunities, and it's and that's sort of a, in that sense, perhaps a bit of a mindset approach. I definitely see that in your in your bio. You know, this this concept that there's only there's only one way to go from here, and that's uh, that's up. Um, but uh, before we go uh, any further in that, um, perhaps uh, would you mind telling me a little bit more about the the makeup of that of that startup team? You know, what was its purpose and what kind of resource did you have uh, at your disposal? Was it literally you know ten people in an office? Did you have to set up the office? To it with? was well. Um, the, the the role that I took um, with an Arab in Singapore in t- two thousand and three was basically running a subset of the office, and and it was. And it was literally starting a team from a group of three, um, and 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 we we then, um, but what we were trying to deliver as you know there was was me and two other guys there who were who were really trying to build a a um, a team which could deliver building projects, and so what we were very much about was was starting from scratch in terms of our approach, our processes, um, the makeup of our teams, and the sorts of work that we we would say that we would target and what we wouldn't target. Um, in that process, we had a, a, a very early break with uh, with winning the Singapore Flyer project. Um, that was led by my colleague, who's now in Melbourne, Brendan McNiven, and that at the time was the world's largest. Observation wheel. It was it was very uh, similar to the to the London Eye, um, but but different in, in other areas as well. And and you know that came really early on. And the, uh, the lessons that we learned through successfully delivering that project, if we hadn't have done that project, and to be fair, a couple of others along the way, we would never have even been able to get our heads in the right position to be able to contemplate how we would deliver something like Marina Bay Sands. And there's an accumulation there because. Fairly shortly after Marina Bay Sands, it came along the Singapore Sports Hub, which is you know a, a fifty-five thousand seater stadium integrated with an Olympic Aquatic Centre, multi-purpose indoor arenas, you, you name it. So, what we were about was we were we were building technical capability 
you know, technical excellence was at the heart of what we we're trying to do, but we we're also trying to build. Um, um, Kevin Kevin Roberts from Saatchi and Saatchi talks about mental toughness a lot, and he uses this analogy of scar tissue. We, we were trying to build mental toughness in people, and 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 the analogy of scar tissue is a really good one because you you want people to learn the lessons of of mistakes. But in an engineering environment, lessons, if they're not controlled, can kill people. And and so we, we were going through that process and, and how to sort of reconcile, you know, that that really fast-track learning process that we're all going through, but especially our, our team members, and trying to pull that together without having any wheels fall off in terms of delivery of projects. So it was really exciting, really challenging. <laughs> Yeah, I, I really like that analogy of the scar tissue. And I think, you know, anyone who started a, a new venture, whether that be within a large organization or their own, uh, you know, I think one of the challenges is collecting enough scar tissue without it uh, doing you in. Yeah, well, that's the thing. You know, you can, you die if you've got too much scar tissue, basically. Hmm. And, um, you know, it, it's a very, you know, all of us is, you boil it down to the to the power of confidence and 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 psyche really and you know it's really you know self reflection and self awareness and and things you know if if I reflect on my my career to date you know I'm I'm always learning about myself but also reflecting on on those around me and I think those those you don't learn those sorts of things at engineering school but you learn. You learn those sorts of things by working with really clever people who push you and and who are prepared to ask you questions and and challenge you and um, and I, I'm a really big fan of, of of that that sort of environment. Now you mentioned you mentioned that the, that you'd had some skills to offer in an Asian market. I'm curious to hear a little bit more about what what those skills were. What what did um, what did you need to bring into the Asian market? I think um, there's a um, there's an issue around a sense of time, which which is important when you when you're dealing, you know, Christchurch to Australia to Singapore. Singapore is a very traditional Chinese city, despite the the sort of um, uh, the, the outward impressions. I mean, the the way in which decisions get made in uh, in Singapore are very similar. To you know, your Confucian values are very, very important. So, um, you know, a sense of time in terms of investing time in relationships, investing time in uh, the long term. Um, you know, consultants that you know make you know can make life very difficult for themselves if they if they view um, the continuum of their the path of their um, either personal career or their their company's um, track record as 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 discrete sort of bites, you know, I think you know Chinese people are very good at at, at taking the long term view of of relationships, and that was something that that you know we we learned and we invested it in. Um, I think there's also a very um, there's a there's a style of communication which. Um, you know, knowing how to be um, to push when you need to and and give when you need to when you should, um, being um, you know being humble, being you know being open, um, and and being respectful and 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 those are those are values which you know we we all would like to think we have, but you know those those are values that in our experience in Singapore we we found that individuals who had those those Sort of characteristics about them tended to um, tended to do fairly well and tended to be received reasonably well because you know there is there is a process of of becoming part of the fabric of of the work environment um, and and perhaps Singapore is is a, is a good example in that there's so many people that go to Singapore on a two year contract and then they they disappear and and you might imagine yourself as as being a, a local person or a citizen of, of the country, you, you know, th th you're reluctant to, to invest too much in these relationships if you know that, that the person concerned is going to be gone in two years. And um, it wasn't really until, you know, 
as a as a leadership cohort we'd been together for you know three four five years that we were actually starting to see some you know some acceptance and some rewards about being on the ground Hmm. and that sounds like that would be an incredibly rewarding uh thing as a process to go through um you mentioned that uh you know understanding the way to push and not to push uh, at the right time you know what was that the hardest thing that you had to encounter when dealing with, uh, you know, it's consulting work. It's not, uh, you know, you're not trying to sell a product per se. You you've ha- you have a, a service that you're offering. It would, would you say that was one of the hardest things that you had to learn while you're there or what was what was more, the most difficult thing? There's, there's, two, there's two ways of looking at the, the pushing and pulling thing. I guess um, one is with our, our staff internally, our team internally. And, um, and the other one is with clients or with design teams. And I think um, we, we sometimes, or, or I've worked in environments where decision-making has been very linear and, and, and um, clear and able to be accelerated. And some of the challenges around projects in Singapore is that you've got a fast track project that's got a lot of complexity with it, but but an opaque decision making process. And and this could be anything from you know how big the building is to what what uses are contained within it, right through to when's the completion date and why. Um, and 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 for me, one of the things that I I I found really hard was actually just just understanding the different elements of that and understanding the non-linearity of that. And, and often, um, again, back to the Confucian values of, of the place, often it relies on one person um, and, and what they say happens and, and everyone else falls into line, um, which, which can be, you know, challenging, <laughs> quite frankly, because... You know, you might you might disagree with it, and it might be a flawed decision, and and the person who's made the decision might not even appreciate that. And 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 over time, what we found is is our ability to to engage deeper in those sorts of processes improved. Um, internally within our team, what what I found was was most difficult was was striking the balance between people who were um, who were motivated and and able to do. A technically excellent job with those with with the, the the inevitable tension in a consulting environment about about money, and that is how long are you taking to do it and and how how many times are you doing it, and um, and 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 what 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 to be frank, what I found was that I, w- I was always surprised at how people w- would be very commercial in their in their own personal lives. You know, people would. Um, as, as you and I might, you know, you know, when you're when you're making a, a major purchase, you would research it. You'd be careful about your options and and, and evaluate them. But um, when people came to work, too often I found situations where you know people wouldn't think about think about money in the same way. That was a tension. That's fascinating. So you're in this you're in this I guess mode where every every thing you do has an hourly component to it and that gets billed to a client at a certain rate, you want to encourage or foster a kind of culture where failure to a degree is supported so that you can learn. Uh, failure, you know, is, is contained so that there's no uh, end user risk, you know, risk of death. That that strikes me as quite challenging. You know, how do you encourage that kind of proactive learning within that uh, within a safe environment whilst also ma- maintaining commercial viability. Like that sounds like quite a tricky thing to, to balance. Um, well, I, I think the reality was was that technical excellence does take time and effort and, and we were able to uh, have that recognised by our clients uh, generally and and we weren't, you know, there's very few projects that you do on, a, on an hourly basis, even, even though the way that we account for time is, is on, on an hourly basis, so so you, you you work to lump sums, which are generally linked um, to a, a proportion of the construction cost, and and manage time as best you possibly can within that overall overall cost. So, because the projects were generally of a size where you know you're, you're talking thousands of person hours, um, at, you know the micro level of of 
you know, a couple of hours here and there is, is reasonably small in the, in the overall mix. Um, but what we did used to try and do was was expose younger people to um, smaller projects um, to, to help that process because you get exposed to a broader category or broader um, nature of, of challenges beyond the beyond the technical, um, and that that does speed learning with with a um, with an inherent sort of safety margin in terms of what the commercial damage might be if it goes wrong. Um, and because you know the other thing is is you know we've all been involved in massive projects where we we either ourselves or, or our teammates get lost you know and you and you can't see the wood for the trees and you you don't have a sense of where the finish line was and it was about just trying to deal with some some of that internal complexity a little bit better. Yeah, those big projects where you might also feel like you you can't really point to the bit that's yours. Yeah, definitely, and and you know one of the things. Which, which I was very clear about is that, is that no one who works in our team should be invisible and, and because too, too few, you know, the rock stars get celebrated. The, the person who puts a sketch on, on, a, on, a, on a dinner napkin is, uh, is the person that gets celebrated and, and, I, and I don't buy that. You know, it's, um, it's, it's a flaw in the way in which we, uh, we acknowledge success because I tell you what, anything that's, that's as large as some of the projects that, that were delivered in that period. It, it takes more than one person's blood, sweat and tears to get there. Of course. Now, I'm curious also, before, before we move on to your current uh, suite of challenges, um, I imagine the, the culture in Singapore, you're not just spending your whole life in the office. You, know, you have uh, friends and, and people around you. Did you see, did you see in others... Um, examples of those challenges that you described earlier, you know, the, the challenge of not understanding the culture, uh, perhaps language barriers or, or a personality, you know, did you see others struggling with that? Yeah, definitely. I think it was probably the most common, um, common frustration of, of people who were coming into that environment you know, and working in a similar sort of setting really. Uh, and, and it's that, it's that, notion of I, I have experience I know what I'm doing but I don't know how to be effective I, and, and and even more than that I don't know where to press the fast forward button you know so and and that's why I think it's such a rewarding experience to live in an entirely different setting because you 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 know clearly if you think you know what you're doing you know you can change that with one short flight somewhere um and and I have to say that you know we, we had colleagues who who failed and and left had to leave that and return home and you know we, we certainly weren't alone in that there were, there were other organisations who, who who went through similar experiences um, you know we, we weren't heavily involved in the procurement of projects so we weren't um, we weren't dealing with uh, building contractors and tender processes in the same way that. That other companies might, and, and and I think some of the the cultural discrepancies were, were even greater in, in in that domain as well. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And um, in terms of uh, you know long term vision, you know, I really like that uh, that analogy from before. You know, thinking about um, thinking about the long long term implications of what you're doing, which which I think is uh, is a neat segue into what you're doing at the moment. So, uh, when you talk about changing what you know in uh, in the, the length of one flight from one place to another, I think uh, within the last week, if you'd asked me to describe what a city full of potential feels like, I would not have said Christchurch until I spent some time there. And uh, it really does feel like the, the ground has been sort of shaken up, literally, uh, and all these opportunities have, have sprung up. So, it's a really fascinating place. And uh, and that, that I... I guess is what's brought you back there because there's a real sense of purpose there's a real sense of opportunity so um how would you respond to that and uh, what's your what's your current uh, role there at, uh, at Christchurch yeah nice segue um I think from my point of view Christchurch is a fascinating place to be and, and it's completely full of opportunity and 
my, my current role as the as the chief executive of the Christchurch Art Centre, and and the Christchurch Art Centre is New Zealand's largest collection of heritage buildings. Um, it was in, you know founded in the eighteen seventies as the as the Canterbury University, and then transitioned to the Art Centre, um, which is a charitable trust in, in the late nineteen seventies. And you know the earthquake environment, you know, is is so different. I mean, it's um, you know, there's there's all of the physical stuff. So you you can walk three blocks from here and 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 really be be entirely lost in a way which um, to those of you who haven't experienced it will, will not really understand. But all of our landmarks and things that we we want that we grew up with, uh, a lot of them have gone. And yet at the same time, where you know there are massive processes going on within the city to to um, not just rebuild but reimagine what Christchurch can be, um, what it will be, and yeah, I'm I'm back here because I'm optimistic about that future and and really committed to playing a role in, in achieving that future. And and here at the Art Centre, we're, we're no different. So we, there's 23 buildings across our, our site. We're we're one city block and and about 120 in the, in the CBD. But um, the process that we're going through has been very much focused on the physical restoration. And over the last year, since we, well, since I've started here um, from October 2012, we've been putting a lot more effort into contemplating our, our, um, you know, our, our vision for, for what the Art Centre will become beyond the bricks and mortar. Yeah, so you, you're working through a process of, of uh, master planning, not just the physical bricks and mortar but uh you know what the ambition is for the site um can you can you share some of that with us yeah sure i i guess the 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 starting point for us is a, is a charitable trust um is, is our trust deed um and we have a remit um which which is enshrined in the trust deed to, to arts culture and education and also conserving and maintaining the the heritage of our site um, what we're seeking to do through our vision process is really um, develop this as a, as a basis for constructive change. So, you know, we want the Art Centre to be a, a place where local people of Christchurch want to be um, as opposed to really appealing pretty much exclusively to visitors. We want the Art Centre to be once again a place where people can learn. So, so supporting pathways as well as practice in terms of artisans is, is very, very important in terms of our future. Um, focusing on the creative industries as, as, as a very broad um, and, and quite thrilling and open-ended interpretation of what the arts could be um, is, is another example. You know, we want to you know, you know, go away from that sort of narrow definition and, and broaden it out into, you know, people like you, people who trade in ideas and, you know, you know intellectual property and um, publishers, designers, you, you name it. You know, there's a whole new sort of demographic that we wish to appeal to. Um, and then the other, the other aspects of our vision, uh, you know, cre- creation of, of content and interfaces and, and the art centre being a slightly more curated experience than what it was before. So um, we have a lot of public space, which we seek to use in a more deliberate way to, to exhibit um, f- for performances uh, and so on. And we want that to be curated, not, not so it's an overly contrived experience, but so that it, it has the potential to, to surprise. And then finally, um, you know, like I said at the start, we're, we're focusing a lot on our hard infrastructure, our buildings and so on, but our, our focus on soft infrastructure is just as important. So, you know, there are there are a huge amount of work that we need to do in, in relation to our, our web presence, digital wayfinding through the site and, you know, informatics type, type things. Yeah, okay. Uh, when I spoke with Raf, uh, Raf Manji, uh, recently elected uh, city councillor, he was talking about uh, a new proposal for an open visa, which uh, would potentially uh, loosen up the restrictions around what kind of um, what kind of skills are required in order to get a visa uh, for more than twelve months um, in New Zealand, and and that sounds to me like a really promising uh, piece of soft infrastructure, which would allow people who you know say uh, when I was there, there were lots of people who've got um, 
let's say Sparky credentials or Bricklane credentials or maybe they're carpenters. And clearly all the, all of those skills are very highly important. Um, but then if you want people who are coming in uh, as creatives or people who've got uh, like an arts background or maybe they're curators, people who are going to lead that uh, yeah. cultural uh, revolution, so to speak, um, you need those kinds of people being able to get, have access into the, into the country. And, and there's also a a question of how enduring, you know, the 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 the, um, the involvement or the commitment or the or the contribution is, you know, I mean, people who are here solely for the rebuild will will as as you and I both know will will leave when the projects are done, and and I think what Christchurch is you know on the cusp of is is an opportunity to to entirely reimagine what our what our economy and what our what our city actually is. And to and to align it in a way which is quite frankly more than just a a, a service centre to to an agricultural um, production source production base. It seems like there are lots of uh, organisations popping up that have that kind of cultural remit as well, like uh, Ministry of Awesome being one, or or yep. Gap Filler being another. Uh, and how do you see how do you see the art center of uh, Christchurch playing into that? Is it going to be a physical location for that, or is it going to be sort of a hybrid uh, approach with web, digital, the future of all that? Like, how do you see that playing out? I think inevitably it will be a hybrid because because I think you know we're learning a lot from the likes of Gatfiller and, and Ministry of Awesome because of the way in which they've projected their influence, which is beyond. A, a physical site of bricks and mortar. I mean, I, and I also think, you know, we have a role to play in terms of contributing to that to that thought leadership development within the city. And, you know, I, I guess, but for the time being, while we while we're in a position where we're obligated to firstly use what funds we have to restore the site, that 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 will be our primary focus. But along the way, we we are still. Um, collecting data and, and creating tools and, and infrastructure to enable us to to project beyond our our, our site in the in the intermediate future. What's what's it been like making the transition from from office leader slash engineer to to CEO? What's that been like? Um, uh, look, I've loved it. I've I've re really enjoyed it. I, I it, it's a homecoming for me. So even though the city is is broken, um, my, my wife is from here. My, you know, my my kids were born in Singapore, but you know, for all of us, it feels like a homecoming. So it feels good from that point of view. But in terms of the work, I guess to be honest, I was recruited for my my project experience, my engineering experience, and you know, while that's a, that's an important part of what I do, I think. Um, the aspects that are most rewarding and, and most sort of challenging for me are, are around figuring out the complexity of, of what Christchurch is going to be and, and how to, how to, how to manoeuvre or, or, or ensure that what we do now doesn't, you know, doesn't compete or, or replicate what, what else goes on in the city. Um, engaging with the public, I, I'd never had anything to do with public consultation before. You know, we had a, we've had just through um, the last three months run a major public consultation exercise on what our vision is. You know, it's it's fascinating stuff, and it's um, I think coming in, I I uh, underestimated the complexity of doing it, um, but but from that point of view, have have got some really nice rewards from 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 that side of the job, and also the generosity of of people. I've been really struck by. The fact that there's so many people out there who are willing to be generous with their time in terms of giving their thoughts and and you know I guess you know a shout out to those people I mean a, a big thank you because uh, you know given my background I clearly need all the help that I can get. So this is a case of uh, you know thinking that you've got some of the answers and realizing very quickly that you know you need a little bit of work on that. Yeah, totally. And 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 you know, wouldn't it be terrible if Terrible for Christchurch if if um, if I thought that I had all the answers and didn't need to ask any questions. That that's kind of the approach, and I think you know that's one of the um, you know back to back to the sort of development of my experience. You know that I've never pretended to anyone that I've got all the answers, um, but I've always promised to listen and 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 to try my best. So that, that's all I can do, and. Mm. 
And, and I think people have been very generous in the way that they've responded to that because there, there's a lot of talented people out there. And I think one of the tricks in terms of the rebuild of the city is to actually um, do more than pay lip service to those people. Yeah, Kyla, Kyla, when I spoke to her, she was saying, you know, part of the part of this opportunity right now is not just thinking about um, what the city could be, but actually taking the steps to make that happen. You know, not just taking this positive change as a, as a given or something that's going to happen, but uh, realizing that there's a, there's a I guess, a, a sense of agency that's required from everybody involved. Yeah, I, I agree with that observation, actually, because, you know, people, you know, people see plans that are developed by all sorts of people from the central government through to local government to private developers. And I think, you know, people latch onto those plans and realise, well, okay, that's going to happen. And it's it's far more complex than that. There is so much more development required to actually execute. And, and I think what we've got to transition collectively is, is into a position where we're a bit more action orientated rather than, this isn't an academic exercise, this is real. This is about us, it's about our futures, about our kids' future. and. You know, we can't afford to have people on the sidelines, you know, and one of the great things that Gap Filler, Ministry of Awesome, other other groups are doing is that they're rolling up their sleeves and they're doing something about it. And here at the Arts Centre, you know, we're trying to do something about it as well. You know, we, are, we will be literally years ahead of, of um, the, the fastest anchor projects in the city. And I, and I'm, you know, I, and I can say that confidently and I... I think people will be absolutely blown away by what this place is in a very, very short period of time. So that that consultation process, the public consultation process, it, that's a very uh, hot topic, I think, at the moment, especially here in New South Wales, where there's a quote-unquote consultation process that's being proposed in um, state, state parliament. And, uh, you know, I think all the way down to the startup level, whether it's just a guy in his bedroom Um, or it's someone who's running a you know running a cultural center like yourself the consultation process is so time and time again complicated and tricky so would you have any suggestions like how how can you see a way forward for making that um, more uh, something that you can learn from more readily uh, and something that's a little bit more open and collaborative The, the the learning point for me or the success point for me in terms of what we did was and this was off the back of us going through a process of evaluating lots of different options for doing it, is that we absolutely needed to consult on something. You know, consulting on, on, on a blank sheet of paper was never going to happen for us. And, and it would have sent too many, you know, too many inappropriate messages to the community about that. So I, I, I'm a believer in providing some definitions, some constraints. Now that might, you know, depending on the situation, that, that can be, you know, an architectural plan, it can be, you know, a narrative about intent. But, you know, I, I think asking um, asking the community about what they want, that they will tell you what they want and, and will that be realistic or achievable? It might not be. And so then you're immediately in a situation where where there's there's discrepancies between expectations and reality. And I think in Christchurch, a good case in point was a fantastic process called Share an Idea. Um, and and effectively, Share an Idea was dropped. So all of these, you know, there was something like 300,000 contributions to Share an Idea that got dumped. Not a great way to engender public support. Um, I think the other thing um, is, is give it give it time. Um, too often in, in New Zealand, I, I see examples of because public consultation is mandated through um, legislation in a number of situations, education, um, state services, and, and things like that. You know, a month-long consultation process, process that's going to affect a whole community is not consultation, in my point of view. So, you know, we we but but at the same time, you, you've got to. You've got to have some definition around around how long you'll give it as well, and then the final point is is what you do with it. You know, and I think I think it's incumbent on us. You know, if people have been generous generous enough to give us the ideas and, and thoughts and comments, 
it's it's important that we that we don't just say okay thanks we've consulted um, we're getting on with it we're you know we we do uh, owe those people a right of a right of reply effectively mm. and I think in many cases uh, you may have had some of these ideas already or you might have had um, some of the the nugget of the idea but it's been fleshed out uh, greatly by actually going out and speaking to people and uh, showing them something and saying this is what we're thinking of or this is the area of opportunity how could we how could we best use it yeah it's it's back to that idea of you know I you know no, no one person has all the good ideas you know uh, you know the, the the stuff that we've got back have, have, have improved our, our thinking and ideas for opportunities at the art center no end and and it would have been a terribly unfortunate thing for us to, to have missed out on that so in terms of the team that you're running there, um, would you say there are similarities or like is it a completely different ballgame uh, compared to what you were doing before with, you know, a team of what, 300 uh, engineers in one office plus 10,000 people worldwide? You know, what's it like being in this in this much more um, narrow focused environment? It's really good. I mean, most of the, um, most of the team is based on site. So it's a it's a project office type environment. Um, so while I don't live in the detail on a day by day or hour by hour basis of the restoration, you know I, I'm I'm very much in touch with it. Um, so that that part of it's it's good. Um, I guess you know so so the the project side of it is 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 very similar. You know, but but I'm I'm not pulling the strings on that. You know, it's, I've 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 employed other people to do that, so that's. It's not your job. It's 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 not. I, I mean, I, I have a great, a great love of it, and and, a, and clearly a great interest in it. But I've I've got to I've got to let people do their job in in, in those areas, and um, I what I what I really like is is we we've got it because we're all together. We um, we haven't got any of the inefficiencies in terms of our our project structure, which is around. You know, we don't write reports to each other or emails to each other. We talk, and I, I can't tell you how how refreshing that is. It's it's fantastic. Um, everyone's here because, you know, within Singapore we had a we had a good sort of overarching sense of purpose, but n- nothing like what we've got here. You know, everyone who's here really knows that you know it, it's more than a job, and. Um, you know that's 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 a that's a that's still twelve months or, or thirteen months on. That's still a really thrilling thing for me to experience every day. It's it's I think quite a unique uh, position actually, where um, you've got a very clear sense of purpose, and the evidence of of that purpose is all around you. Not just you know you don't have a, a poster up on the wall that says keep going. <laughs> you just look out the window and, and you see like rubble lying in the streets and and uh, cyclone fencing everywhere. Definitely, and and I think you know, it, and and one of my roles as a as a leader is that you know the, the, there are hard parts. There are hard parts where people are working hard and people are tired and and worried. Um, and and you know it's those sorts of times where you say let's just metaphorically get in a helicopter and think about what what we've achieved, you know. And and twelve months ago on the site we we were active in two parts of the site. Since then we've opened one of those, and we've commenced restoration activity in in uh, seven other parts of the site. And you know that's that's a that's a fantastic achievement that the team has has achieved and. Is yeah, you know, is really rewarding in its own right. I was I was amazed when I got to got to the city, and I mean, I'd been reading about it earlier in the year. I think it was about March. I was reading about the red zone in the center and how you could basically only walk around that red zone. And when I arrived two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was it was permeable. You could completely walk your way through. You can't drive everywhere. There are many ways that you can get lost if you try and drive through the city. Just about everywhere. You can you can cycle almost everywhere, which is impressive. Um, and that that rate of improvement over time, um, you know, on a on a city scale, is uh, is outstanding. And so I think um, I think I would add to that helicopter analogy, not just seeing where you've come, but uh, seeing where you're going as well. I think that's you know highly important. Yeah, that, that, that's a fair point because I think you know we've got to be 
conscious of where the finish line is. And, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, as uh, you know, there's, there's people who know far more about this than I, but, but what people who talk about dis- disaster recovery cycles is, is, is year two and three are, are really the, the difficult years because people are still dealing with, uh, um, you know, very complex and, and difficult personal situations in terms of housing, in terms of insurance, in terms of um, potentially still grieving the loss of a loved one. Um, and, and they don't have necessarily a clear way forward through that. And, and I think there's, especially with, you know, summer around the corner, I think there is a sense within the city, you know, a lot more of the demolition is, is completed. There's a lot more physical signs of, of construction. And, and, you know, that, that, that will start to change the vibe of the city. You know, it will have a really good impact. Hmm. Uh, I think I think that's definitely true. Uh, and I think also um, Kyla sort of alluded to this point, but uh, and I think Raf as well, that city making is never really ever finished. No. There's no, there is no finished point on, uh, on, on building a city. Uh, projects end, but cities endure. A- absolutely. And I think, you know, the, the general people of Christchurch need to have a little bit more heart in, in, in that. You know, it's just that people have been through a lot and, and you know, everyone hates talking about or hates, hates hearing about the resilience of the community, but, um, you know, because it is, but it's been repeated ad nauseum and, and people ask themselves, well, how bloody resilient do we have to be? But, you know, I, I guess from your point of view and, and indeed from mine, the things that I'm really interested in as the city evolves is, is not the anchors, it's the gaps, the fascinating stuff in, in cities and environments and in the world always happen at the edges, and and it's the gaps between these anchors, you know, that that's really undefined at the moment, and and that definition will ultimately, you know, ju- you know, determine success or you know success or failure. I think. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Well, uh, Andre, thank you so much for for joining me on Creative Agency. Thank you for having me. It's really nice to speak to you. Awesome. Well, there you have it. The very first creative agency interview over Skype. I thought that went pretty well. What do you think? Why don't you uh, why don't you drop by tickler.net and swing past the Andre Lovett post and uh, let me know in the comments. Now, also, don't forget, you can sign up to the free fortnightly email over there. It's called The Dispatch. And uh, all you have to do is click the little box on the right-hand side of tickler.net and add your details and you'll get all the goodies in the mail. Have a look at tickler.net forward slash dispatch for all the deets. Well, that's all we have time for this week. So until next time, stay creative.